My prayer today is as you think about your life and what you're longing for this Christmas, what you're hoping for this Christmas, that through the music, through the song, through the words, that you, that you will find hope. Not just hope to get by, but hope to thrive. Hope to make a difference in your life and the world around you. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to share with you a passage of Scripture that is um, unusual and interesting. It's unusual we would share it this morning because most of us will look at this passage and we think, I, I don't understand it. These are just names to me. They don't mean anything to me. Honestly, raise your hand if you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew, which begins with uh, a genealogy, and you, just, and you just skipped right through the names, right? I mean, you look at it and you go like, what a terrible way to begin a book or a novel. I mean, just a bunch of names. I can't even pronounce half of them. And truthfully, I'm going to read it here in a minute, and if you think I'm smart, I'm just making it up. I can't, I, I can't pronounce half the names either. These names don't really mean anything to us. But what I want to show you this morning is then in the genealogy of Jesus, I want to show you something very interesting and profound. You'll never forget it. You can find hope in the most unusual places. Because in every one of these names, uh, we, we don't know them. In every one of these names, there's a story. There's trauma, there's sadness, there's suffering. Every one of these names. We don't know their stories. But we all know our stories, and we all have family stories too. So there is hope here in these names. Now, I'm going to ask you to read along with me because we're going to put some emphasis on parts of the genealogy. And the parts that are in the bold, I'm going to want you to read with me, okay? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now we skipped a good part. We skipped a good part of the genealogy to get to the Jesus part. Now look here, it says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the reading of the Word of God for God's people, and God's people did say, Amen. So it really is, it really is easy to lose hope. Uh, you can wake up in the morning and feel hope-filled for the day, and with a few, within a few minutes you just see the hope drain right out of you. you know, what, what causes you to lose hope? Well, hope's important, because without hope we can't live. And by the word live, I mean really live. Underline that word live. Live fully. Hope is so important to living meaningful, fulfilled lives. 
And hope is something that we have to nurture inside of us. And the thing I like about the genealogy of Jesus is you dig a little closer, you find hope that is buried in this narrative, in these names. We don't know the names. We don't know who these people are. But I want to point out to you something that, uh, that Matthew's doing at the very beginning of his gospel. He's setting a big story for the people of God. And you'll notice in the very beginning, what happens here is he says, the father of Abraham, father Abraham, Abraham was a part of Jesus' genealogy, who was the father of the religion, and then David was their great king. And what he is doing for them is he is putting Jesus in the context of the great history of God's people. He's saying that from the very time of Abraham all the way to this day, all the way through this family, God has been faithful generation after generation after generation. And if you knew the names, you could go back and you could look up each name in the Old Testament and you would hear stories of conflict and strife and trouble. And he's saying that even amidst all the brokenness of this human family, from generation to generation to generation, God has been faithfully at work in the world through these normal, ordinary, flawed, dysfunctional, troubled people all the way to the birth of Jesus. And it's interesting, if you look in the genealogy, it says there was 14 generations that took place to King David from Abraham. 14 generations that took place from David to the Babylonian exile, which was their great trauma, their great tragedy. And then 14 generations from the exile into Babylon to the birth of Jesus. And in Jewish history, the belief of the idea was that every 14 generations, something significant would happen. So we see here, the first great king was born, then this great tragedy, and then comes Jesus in the third set of 14 generations, who is the culmination of history. You see, Matthew is beginning this gospel by pointing out to the people that God has been at work all through human history. We may not see it, we may not know it, but God is at work. From generation to generation, God has been faithful to God's people. And that's the message that Matthew wants us to get and to understand. Is we may look around the world and we may wonder, where is God? But God is at work because God is faithful. God just keeps working in human history to bring His grace, to bring His love, to bring His hope in the world. And we are a part of that human family. And if God could work through that family, could not God work through us? and also through our families. You see, hope is something that has to be nurtured. And sometimes it's not obvious to us where hope is. And so we have to look for hope in unexpected places, small places, little ordinary acts of kindness and goodness in the world, and to nurture and to hold on to it, even in those times when we don't necessarily believe and feel that maybe God is at work in the world. Now, the other thing I'd point out to you if you look at your family, we all have troubled families. All of us have histories in our families. We have good times and we have hard times. And I take a lot of comfort from knowing and believing myself that you look at Jesus' family, and his family was just as dysfunctional as your family. Jesus' family was just as messy as your family. Jesus was not born, he was not born into a hallmark, picture-perfect, airbrushed family. He was born into a normal human family with flaws and difficulties and hardships and sorrow and loss. 
And what I love about that is the hope that it gives to us, for us and for our families. That if God can work and bring Christ into the world through a very ordinary human family, Christ can come to your family this Christmas too. What is it you're hoping for for your family this Christmas? What do you hope Christ can bring to your family this Christmas? Now, this is the part of the genealogy that I get really excited about. It's unusual, and, you know, my guess is you probably don't read genealogies in the Bible very often, because like I said, you skip them over. But did you know if you read some of the genealogies in the Old Testament, you'll find that there's not a single woman mentioned in any one of them. Yeah, go read Numbers, mind-numbing genealogy. There's no women mentioned in a genealogy. Because in that time and in that culture, women were considered, excuse me, unimportant. They were not considered important in the grand scheme of human history. And here in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew begins his Gospel by including five women in the genealogy. Now this is really fascinating, because Matthew doesn't tell us why. Why all of a sudden, in this world where women were not considered, why would Matthew suddenly include five women in the genealogy of Jesus? And not just five women, it's interesting, because these are not even Jewish women. Tamar was, an, I'm using current, current terminology for their country of origin, or their, their, their ethnicity, was an Arab. Ruth was a Jordanian. Jordanian. Uh, the other two, uh, Rahab was a Palestinian. And so was Bathsheba. And by, mention this, Bathsheba's name's not even mentioned. She was married to a Hittite. She was a Palestinian too. So it's interesting. Not only are women included in the genealogy of Jesus, but women who didn't even belong to their race. What is Matthew saying to us? He's reminding us of what the ministry of Jesus would be like. That the ministry of Jesus would be inclusive of all people. That Jesus' ministry went beyond just Judaism. That the ministry of Jesus, his scope was for the whole world, not just for their little part of the world. And that women were going to be welcomed and included in the ministry of Jesus. And you looked at who Jesus spent time with and who he ministered to and who he reached out to. It's a powerful message of hope for the world we live in, for all people. That the kingdom of God is not our kingdom, our little kingdom, but a bigger kingdom that's big enough for everyone. And so by the time we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus gives the great commission to go into all the world, he meant all the world. What I love about this, we look at the world and we realize that our faith is not just for us, that our hope is not just for us, that our hope is for our world. But you know what? It gets me. Did you know this is in the genealogy? All this is here. I'm just getting started. <laughs> but look at the history of these women. Do you know what happened to Tamar, the first one? Her first husband died, then she marries his brother, he dies, there was another brother left, 
But dad did not want to give him to her in marriage because he was afraid the other brother would die. You know, twi- you know three strikes, you're out. You're going to lose your brother. <laughs> so if you're a woman and you're a widow, you, had no, you, you would be destined to a life of poverty. So you know what Tamar did? She posed as a sex trade worker, seduced her father-in-law in disguise, and became pregnant and had a baby. Guess what? The baby is in the genealogy of Jesus. The second story, Rahab was not uh, posing as a woman of the evening. She was. Ruth, Ruth was not, um, she was not a Jewish person. Uh, she was a daughter-in-law for a woman named Naomi who fled Bethlehem. She left, she left Bethlehem to go to uh, Moab. Her sons, her two sons, married two foreign women. Everybody died. Her husband died. Ruth's husband died. Everybody died. All the men died. Ruth goes back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and through some deception, manages... Uh, to have a relationship with a man by the name of Boaz and they have a baby and guess what? That baby's name is in the genealogy too. And then we already know the story of Bathsheba. We know that story. Bathsheba was a victim of a crime. Now here's why I tell you this story. So often when this, and this is fascinating, this is incredibly fascinating to me and interesting, interesting. Most of the time when this story is preached about these women, these women are referred to in terms of their immoral behavior as scandalous women. I want to tell you that I don't think that's right. I think it breaks God's heart for us to form moral conclusions about women who have to make desperate choices for their survival. Did you hear what I just said? It's really important. We don't want to victimize these women again in the Bible. These women did what they had to do in order to survive. They were living in poverty and in famine and were suffering, and you do what you have to do. Let's just acknowledge the role of women in human history who are the caretakers for, mother, uh, for children all over the world who will do anything for their children. I think it really breaks God's heart when Christian people look at the choices that other people have to make and form moral judgments about desperate choices they have to make instead of us coming up with compassionate conclusions about how to rescue them and to give them hope. I think that Jesus doesn't want us to shoot the wounded. Jesus wants to heal to help us to heal the brokenhearted. I think this is such an important part of this story. Because we are not sinners in the hands of an angry God. We are desperate people in the hands of a compassionate God. I don't think God is angry at our world. I think God is sad for our world. And when I look at this story, it again reminds me that there are women all over the world today, mothers all over the world today, who are forced to make desperate choices for their children from Syria to Venezuela to the border between Texas and Mexico to our own city who are forced to make choices 
for their children, for, the survive, for their survival and for their children that need the church of Jesus Christ to open doors of opportunity for them. I don't think that the war on Christmas has anything to do whether or not we put Merry Christmas on a coffee cup at Starbucks. The war on Christmas is when we get confused if the real message of Christmas is about and we separate the message of Christmas from the message of justice for those who are living on the margins in our world. And we forget that Christmas is not about us. We forget that Christmas is not about stuff. That Christmas is about a God who came to the broken heart. That is, that is all right there in the genealogy of Jesus. Hope for everyone. Hope for everyone. The other thing I would point out to you a last couple of thoughts here about this genealogy, about what her hope is. When I read this genealogy of Jesus, I, I, I come to the conclusion that hope, hope does not deny the existence of evil in our world. It does not deny it. It's not wishful thinking. It's not optimism. Hope does not deny the reality of suffering in the world. You know what hope is? Hope gets up every day and against all odds gets up and does good work whether they can see God at work in the world or not. Hope is believing against all the present evidence when we may not see God at work in the world and we may believe that evil or darkness is winning and we just keep doing the good. We just keep serving because we know that God is faithful, that God's mercies extend from generation to generation, and that we too are a part of the genealogy of Jesus, that we are a part of his line, and we're just going to get up every single day and just keep doing the right thing. You know, I was in Memphis yesterday, and I went through the campus of St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital. And as I went through the campus, the, the, the road was lined with children, cancer patients, and their families. And, and there, was a, there was a young man that actually started the race. He was a cancer survivor, 10-year cancer survivor, and he got up and thanked us for running that day. They'd raised $12, $12 million for, for, cancer, for cancer research and for St. Jude's Hospital, where not a child ever has to pay a medical bill. And you know, as, as, as we ran through their campus, and the children were, it was very emotional for me, and for us, as we went through that campus, it just reinforced to me the idea that hope just keeps up, gets up doing the right thing. Just keeps getting up and pressing on and doing the right thing to bring hope and healing to the world. Now, one last thought. Jesus... The, the hope of the world was placed on Jesus' human family. And Jesus has placed his hope on this family. This family. Middletown Christian Church, this family. To bring our messages a message of hope. To live and to serve and to give and to love and to bring hope every single day. That's all right there in the genealogy. Did you know that? 